We begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, today we are talking about harvest, and there's a, I, I like that word harvest because it kind of serves two purposes. Number one, if it's a noun, right, it's something that can go be gathered, but it's also something that's active and something to be done. So today, that's what we want to look at. What does God ask of us as believers as we go into our world and ultimately harvest, view the harvest? When you think of harvest, maybe this is the picture that comes to mind. Maybe even when I read the text today, that was kind of the idea. Um, I'll have to admit, when I started my study on this text, that was kind of the picture that's in my head is just a, a field of wheat, right? Ready and ripe to be brought in. I think more often than not, when we think of harvest, and I'm guessing I'm, well, I'm going out on a limb here, um, most of us are maybe not farmers. Some of you maybe were. Maybe we've got a few of you that are. Uh, but maybe you had grandparents that were. And I think oftentimes when we think of a harvest, we automatically go to the end result, right? Fields that are ready to be brought in. The reality of it is, takes a lot of hard work to get to that point. Second thing is, when we talk about harvest, we realize that it didn't just happen overnight, right? That there was uh, um, ultimately lots of work that was put in to get to that point. There's kind of a, a vivid illustration of that um, specifically on how, how um, um, we as humans can, can alter the topographies of our, of our world to such a degree that things like that become very hard to achieve. Uh, world War II uh, took lots and lots of human lives, right? Uh, they estimate that about 8.5 million died in World War II. Uh, they estimate that there was about a, a 1 billion artillery shells dropped in Europe, and specifically, probably most concentrated in the area of France. And so when we talk about um, life and harvest and death, you think about World War II and death was everywhere. But what's kind of interesting about that war, the destruction and all that came from it, is that it actually took its toll on the landscape of France as well. Um, Henri Barbousse uh, said this, said, where there are no dead, the earth is corpse-like. So if any of you are history buffs, maybe some pictures, mental images are coming to mind of World War I and the devastation. So not just human casualties, but even the land uh, in which that war took place was in some sense dead, right? Here's a few pictures, right? Just devastation. This is the opposite picture of the harvest image that maybe comes to our mind, right? Um, nothing living, everything torn to pieces. Here's another image of that. You can see some of the men in the bottom right in their trench warfare. But the land just scoured and death everywhere. Not just human toll, but, but on the land as well. Now what's kind of interesting about that, uh, that those war zones in France... Uh, some of those places were so devastated by artillery. Here's a few pictures of the size of some of those. As, as I mentioned, they estimate over a billion artillery 
shells were dropped in the region of France and around. So you imagine what was left behind, right? After war ended, after peace was declared, you imagine the mess that was needed to be cleaned up afterwards. So much so that the nation of France actually designated certain areas within their country as zone red or zone rouge, which just meant the ground and the earth around it was so devastated that nothing could even grow there, right? much less people inhabiting it. Uh, one of the worst areas was where the Battle of Verdun took place. Uh, they designated much of that around there, about 48 square miles as a red zone or zone rouge, uh, where simply nothing lived. Not people, not plants, not animals, nothing. Just death. Now what's fascinating is we're about 100 years beyond that and the land has started to come back. Here's some modern images of that very same place. This is in Verdun. You can see the holes and the pockmarked ground. That's where artillery hit. But at this point, vegetation has started to come back. Uh, France actually, actually um, um, kind of put in place a, a reforestation process for that zone rouge. They planted pine trees and did whatever they could to bring that ground back to life. And it took a while, a hundred years, but now it started to grow. Places where death only existed, now lush forests and pine trees and vegetation have started to take root. Today, we want to talk about that a little bit. Because when we consider the message that Jesus gives to us, gives to you, as missionaries, as disciples, as followers of Christ, to take his gospel into our world, we want to consider a little bit, what is the topography into which we are sharing that message? That's what we want to look at today. Our theme is going to simply be harvest. Uh, if you like following along, we're going to kind of go through three different areas uh, within our text. We want to talk about the mission that each and every one of us has as Christians. We want to talk about the message that we walk with. And lastly, the means by which we are able to bring life to the world in which we live. So those are kind of be the three areas that, that we had. Now our text for today, uh, written in Luke chapter 10. Uh, if you are with us last week, uh, we were in Luke chapter 9. And it's interesting because in this portion of Luke's gospel, uh, we, we, have, we have made a turn in, sen- in a sense. So the first eight chapters of Luke, in large part, what Jesus was doing was showing his disciples, uh, the people within Israel, um, and us as well, who he was, right? Uh, We recall the miracles that he performed and all those things. So the first eight chapters kind of uh, um, in detail go and, and remind us and assure us and show us that Jesus was nothing less than the Son of God. Now, We ask ourselves, why did Luke need to spend eight chapters on that? Why did Jesus feel in his ministry, especially his early ministry, that he had to kind of drive that point home? I think the answer is the people of Israel in some sense. Because they wanted a king, they wanted a revolutionary, they wanted a leader, they wanted a a rabbi, they wanted someone that was wise, they wanted someone that could perform miracles and and, and, uh, show his power. They wanted all of those things. But their view of who Jesus and what they wanted Jesus to be was far short 
of who he actually was. And so through eight chapters of Luke, Jesus was in a sense driving home to the people of Israel and you and I, as we read through that gospel of Luke, exactly who he was. And the answer to that is nothing short of God above. True man and true God. Not just a revolutionary or a leader or a wise guy that said wonderful things to help us live our lives in a better way. But God made man come to our earth into our history. And so, eight chapters of that. Jesus is true God. Now, at the point of our text here today, we're making that turn. Because if that's true, and it is, if Jesus is true God, and he was, and he is, then that means something for you. That means something for you and I. In fact, on some level, Luke is telling us, you can't just go back and kind of coast your way through things any longer. Because if Jesus is who he said he is, which is nothing less than God above, then that absolutely will affect how we live our lives, the choices we make, and the peace in which we live our lives. And so our text today, that's what Luke's talking about. You might say the first eight chapters were proving Jesus is the Son of God. Now in chapter 9 and especially chapter 10, he says, here's what that's going to mean for you. Here are the implications of knowing, of trusting, and understanding that Jesus is nothing less than God divine. In the subsequent weeks, we're going to see um, lots of ways that Luke says this is how it affects us. But today, the very first thing he says is, if Jesus is that, then you are this. And what he says to us, says to you, is that we're messengers of that. <laughs> we're messengers of who Jesus is. So let's jump into our text. We want to look first at that mission that Luke is uh, laying out in front of us. So I'm going to read for you the uh, very first uh, couple verses, verses 1 through 3 of our text. It says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. Go. See the exclamation point there? Not if you want to, if you feel like it, if you can fit it into your schedule, right? Jesus is pretty black and white about what he's saying to us. He says, go, right? I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And so Luke and Christ lays out our mission as believers. But do you feel a little bit of tension in that text? I think you can. I highlighted a few words. First is the harvest is plentiful, right? And so that, come, that, that image comes to our mind, right? With, with fields that are just ripe and you're thinking like this is, I would... I am not a farmer, and I was not a farmer, but I would guess like harvest is probably one of the most satisfying parts of farming. But to get to that point, there is lots and lots and lots of hard work. But I think when I read this text, when we read this text, we see that the harvest is plentiful and our mind immediately goes to just fields of grain ready to be brought in. I, that's a positive view, right? 
But I think therein lies the tension just a little bit because then look what Jesus says. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. That doesn't sound near as awesome as just harvesting grain that's out there for us, right? And so in our mission as believers, there is a tension, isn't there? Between what God has in store for us, but also the reality into which we are going out and sharing the message of Christ. And the truth is, maybe you didn't feel the tension in this text right away at first reading, but I bet you you feel it in your personal lives. I bet you feel that tension as a follower of Christ and, and, and trying to live your life uh, in a way that honors God above. I bet you feel that tension in your workplace. Right? I bet you feel that tension in your own homes, with family members, with kids, maybe with grandkids. At times, I bet you feel that tension in your own minds. Here's the reality. It's a difficult place to work and to share Christ. We know that because we feel it. We're back up just a little bit because the topography has changed. American topography has changed. Uh, we are officially in what most sociologists will call post-Christian America. Some of you have maybe heard that term from time to time, right? Um, on average, what you're doing here this morning, maybe 15, 12-15% of your fellow Americans are doing on a Sunday morning. Okay? That's drastically down from post-World War II where we were talking 60-70% to 70% of Americans were in church on any given Sunday morning. It has changed that drastically over that time. And so, and I think rightfully so, most will call America a post-Christian nation. Now, here's our tension, and here's how the topography has changed for us. And it, it is slightly different based on how many gray hairs you have in your, on your head. Or if you're like me, how many hairs you're losing on your head. Right? Um, honestly, this is, this is a shift within American culture that every single one of you feels here in this room and feels in different ways based on how old you are. Some of us grew up in a time where, where church was assumed, or most of the people we knew were Christian of some sort, right? And, and at least on some level would maybe show up at Christmas or Easter, right? But an a, a atmosphere of Christianity was at least on some level assumed. That assumption is gone. The topography has changed. It's no longer there anymore. And so based on where you grew up, how you grew up, and our age level, the topography has changed drastically. And here's the important thing for us here this morning. How we view ourselves in this changed landscape has to change as well. You have no choice but to consider yourselves missionaries in your own nation. You just don't, right? There isn't that option any longer. And I know uh, uh, some of us have grown up in a time where we, we never knew anyone that wasn't Christian. We've, we maybe still have family around us and folks that we, would, that we know know Christ, but the reality of the world in which we live and the message that we have to share and the fields that are out in front of us, 
and the mission work that Christ has put into your hands and into your laps is that you must view yourselves as missionaries. Right? We must view ourselves as, as um, missionaries to a world that does not know Christ. And so the topography has changed. And maybe you felt like that last line there a little bit from time to time. <laughs> like lambs among wolves. If you felt that way, you're not alone, right? You're not alone. In fact, I would just say in general, within our American society, and I think it has accelerated over these past couple years with the pandemic, it feels to me as though things are, are strained and tearing at the seams more so than I have felt in a very long time or in my lifetime. I think we feel that. I think we sense that, right? So when Jesus talks about mission and when we talk about the harvest being plentiful, the reality of it is the message you take is to a world that, that in large part wants nothing to do with Christ or Jesus as Lord. In large part, it is a world that has, has chosen far um, multiple other things besides Christ. But therein also lies our opportunity as believers. Because we get to share Christ with a world that does not know Him. We get to share Christ with a world that is dying without Him. And so our mission, when we know who Christ is, is to go, <laughs> Right? to take that message to our world. And here's the real beautiful thing about that. And it may be a little bit scary. <laughs> it might be a little bit stressful. But each and every one of you have mission fields that are remarkably specific to you. Every single one of you have the opportunity to share Christ with people that I can't. <laughs> because the truth is, this isn't about clergy or about a building, it's about the message and the mission fields that each and every one of you have. The people that you interact with, your neighbors, in your community, at your workplaces, in your schools, your, your peers, your friends around you, you have the opportunity to share Christ with them. And so every one of us has a mission, right? a beautiful mission, incredibly specific mission that God has placed you at this time and in the right place to be able to share him with. But that leads us to what is so beautiful about Christ and ultimately the message. When we share that message, I would say we want to think through it a little bit holistically. And some have heard me use these terms before. We talk about outreach, we talk about evangelism. Outreach is creating relationships, right, with the people around you. Evangelism is specifically sharing Christ with those who don't know him. And so within your mission field, you're going to be doing all of that, right? Developing relationships, loving your neighbor as yourself with the hope and the prayer and that God gives you opportunity to ultimately to share Christ. And that message is good news. Look at the next few verses of our text, verses 5 through 8. It says this, Jesus says to his, those disciples, those missionaries, When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. 
If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's the message we get to share. And it's nothing less than life, right? It is healing, it is help, it is, it, is, it is Christ himself, right, who ultimately is the bringer of peace. And so when we go into this changed topography of American life, the reality of it is is that you get to go and bring Christ along with you. And he answers some of our deepest issues, right? He answers the, 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 the problem with sin. He answers some of the, the issues that we don't even want to talk about, right? Christ and the gospel um, answers the, the sin beneath the scene. He, he goes deeper than that. And he assures us and he's assured you that your sins are in fact forgiven. That you are loved beyond anything that you could ever imagine. That because of Christ, you will be in eternity. That's called gospel. That's called good news. And guess what? That's what you get to bring to your world. And it absolutely is good news. It answers questions and it answers problems that the world has no answer for. It brings them Jesus, brings them hope, and it ultimately brings them peace. So the message you get to bring is nothing less than Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So you've got a mission, you've got a message. God also gives you the means to do that. Read verses 16 through 19. Jesus says, Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority. Now, it's kind of interesting that Jesus finishes with this, right? Those missionaries go out and they come back praising God, saying, Lo and behold, this message that you told us to share is actually having its impact. It's actually changing lives and changing hearts. It is doing what you promised it would do. Right? And they're amazed by it. They're, they're overjoyed by it. They come back and they say, I can't believe that this is what's happening. And on some level, you almost wonder if Jesus is stepping back, just saying, like, like why do you doubt this? <laughs> we just took eight chapters determining that I am nothing less than the Son of God. <laughs> I can do these things. I have done these things. I've done these things in you, and I will continue doing these things in the hearts of people throughout the world. And so they come back rejoicing because God gave them and Christ gave them the means to do what he asked them to do. Sometimes theologians will use the term uh, um, a gospel imperative. And that's just a fancy way of saying, Jesus tells you to go. But he doesn't tell you to go alone. He gives you the power to do exactly what he's asking you to do. And you see that in our text here a little bit. On whose authority do we get to share the good news? Nothing less than our God above and Jesus Christ. And I know this word authority, maybe in our modern American culture, makes us squirm just a little bit, right? Say, I don't want to be under anyone's authority. 
But the reality of it is, is we all are, right? We all are under someone or something's authority. The reality of it is we just like it to be ours, right? Someone's always in charge. We just prefer it to be us. All that Jesus is saying here is that when you go out on your mission with your message, you are going with him at your back. You're going with nothing less than God above walking with you. And what will the results be? I don't know. But God does. And he's asked us to be faithful in sharing that good news. And we can look back and we can say, what has that good news done in our world? Well, it's changed the trajectory and the hearts of billions of people. I'll take God's track record, right, in the message that we share. That's the big picture. But in truth, you only need to look into your own hearts because that good news has changed you. It's changed your heart from death to life. It's given you the chance and the ability to live life at peace with your God above. And that's the good news that we get to take to our world. I think there is a temptation at times for us to think that the landscape is far too desolate for God's word to have any impact. It simply isn't true. Because you want to know what our God is good at? Our God is remarkably good at fixing broken things and bringing life from death. And you want to know who he does that through? He does that through you. As you faithfully share his message and his good news that sins are forgiven, that we are at peace with our God above, and eternity is our destination. May the Lord bless you as you do that. As you view yourselves as missionaries to our world. Pray the Lord blesses your message, your mission, and ultimately all that you do. Amen.